Hola. <laughs> that just came to me. Hi, this is Jen Grant, and you're Hi, listening. Hi, this is Graham K. Hi, you are listening. This is Adam Fox, and you're listening. This is to Dylan the... Mandelson, and you're listening to the. This is Brian Hat, and you are listening to the Julian. Hi, this is the Word Man of Alcatraz. <laughs> Señores, señores. Hey, everybody! This is Little Darren Frost. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Fabio Mantovan, and you're listening to Julian Dion. This is Dave Sidhu, and you're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Podcast. Podcast hour. Showcase. You are listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Hola. Yes, yes, here we are. Episode number 11 of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour Podcast coming at you. Shit, yeah, we're in the double digits now. This is real. Episode 11, did I say that? Yeah, episode 11. Coming at you far from Lemon Press Studios, from the west coast of Canada, Victoria, B.C. Specifically, I'm sitting in a hotel room right now. Talking to you, and it's good to be in the West Coast. Hence, why these this uh, Friday, October twenty fourth episode is coming out a little later. First reason being the time zone. Second reason being uh, I had a little bit of a technical issue, or more of a more of a practical issue, I guess. I'll get into that in just a sec. But here I am on the West Coast. And it wouldn't be the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast monologue if I wasn't completely exhausted yet again. <laughs> I'm so tired. I did this thing. I did this. I do this thing every time I travel where I get an early flight, super early, and regret it 100% of the time. So I'll book, when I'm booking my flight, I'll book it super early. I think I want a full day where I'm going, the West Coast. It's great because when I'm in Toronto, you leave and you sh- It's like you go back in time. You show up around the same time that you left Toronto. So I always book freakishly early flights and always regret it and always tell myself, okay, never again. Don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. It's too early. I'm a comedian, so I usually have later nights. Wednesday night, by the way, thanks for everyone who came out to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show at Say What. That was great. A lot of fun. And so I had that show on Wednesday night. And so that was late. Even if I don't drink or anything after, or I go home right after the show. By the time I get out of there, it's late. And my flight was at 7 a.m., so I had to get up at 4.30 and... So I'm about three hours sleep. 
And so I always regret it, and I always tell myself, don't do it. Don't ever book an early flight. And I forget. It's like I get travel amnesia. It's like, it's like I'm two people. One person booking, and another person that's actually traveling. And I hate the person that books the travel every time. I loathe that person. So I book it, and I promise myself never again. And then I get travel amnesia. A few months go by, and then a time for another stint to the West Coast. I booked my flight a couple days ago. And I thought, uh, you know, you get excited when you book it. Even though I promised myself every time, never again. Four or five days ago, I log on, book my flight. And it's the same. It was the same price. That's the ridiculous part. It was just, so. There's like a 6:50 flight, an 8:30 flight, a 9:50, 10:30, 11:00 a.m. flight. All the same price. Yeah, I'll go for the 6:50. Let's do it. Get a full day in Vancouver when I land. Forgetting, of course, that when I land, I'll be on three hours sleep. I'll be in the worst mood ever. Won't be able to socialize or do anything. We'll want to nap all day. So you don't really get that extra day of travel. So that happened again. Woke up on three hours sleep, beyond exhausted. Dragged my ass to the airport. Dragged my... I actually got a uh, a real nice travel case for all my podcast gear. I brought my board and my mixers and... Or my board and mixer. That's the same thing, actually. I brought my board and my mics... And so I carried that on the plane with me. I get to Vancouver, or I get on the plane, and I had an emergency exit seat, which they really drive home the reality of crashing when you're sitting in an aisle seat. They approach you before people are still sitting down. They approach you, hi, does everyone here understand English? Okay, just to let you all know. You understand English? Yep. Okay, this is important. Just to let you all know. And they usually say in the unlikely event of an... This this flight attendant did not say unlikely. She made it very much a reality that we could go down in flames. And if we do, the safety of all the other people aboard, the, the this fuselage of fear and danger, danger rests on my shoulders. So she she's like, so you... You realize you're sitting in an emergency aisle. So if we go down, you will need to, this is how you open the doors. And you want to look out the window for fire or debris. And this, so I'm, I'm like, oh shit, this is real. So look out for any fire or debris. If we're in the ocean, just make sure it's safe to open the door before you do. This is all great. This is all positive. Wasn't thinking about it. All I wanted was the extra legroom. Now I'm thinking of fire and debris and ocean outside my window. So you're not really listening. You're just thinking, oh shit, man. If, if this could happen. This is a real thing that might very well happen. And so if anything does happen, I'm everybody, everyone on the plane is fucked because I'm not listening. I don't actually know what to do. I still don't know. I sat there. I was bestowed with that responsibility. Still don't know what I should have done or should do. I wonder if history, in, in the history of, like how, how many times someone has actually 
at that point, been alive to open the emergency doors. Like, if you plummet 3,000 feet, are you in any shape to be like, oh, okay, everybody follow me. We're all okay. There's no fire and debris. There's a little ocean, but no fire and debris, so let's do this. Follow me. Still don't know what to do. It's kind of like my CPR course. I was CPR trained. First aid training for non-Canadian. I think CPR is a Canadian thing. Anyway, first aid trained. And it was a full day class that I took a while back. It was like eight hours. And then you're first aid certified. So if you're in any public area and anything happens, you're the go-to. You get a little car that you put and you carry on yourself. You put it in your wallet. And But the woman teaching the class really phoned it in. Didn't really care much about anything. She just told us about stories. She kept saying, she was like, yeah, my kids are retarded, her words. And she just kept telling us stories of like first aid, like how they fell in the pool and how they knocked, like she grew, she raised three boys. So she just told us basically stories, regaled us with tales of their mischief for eight hours. And then at the end for the exam, she's like, all right, let's just do this open book. Let's just spitball spitball the answers. Just tell me what you think they are and I'll tell you the real answers. So we went through the exam, open book, open discussion. Lo and behold, three weeks later, I get a card in the mail. I'm I'm first aid certified. And I tell you right now, if you're in public around me and you go down and I'm the only first aid person trained, you're fucked. Because I still don't know what to do, which is a little bit like the emergency exit aisle thing. I don't know what to do. Someone goes unconscious and drops like a sack of potatoes next to me in a restaurant, let's say. I, I'll be like, shake them, do something. I don't flip them, flip them around. I, I move them, make sure you move them on their stomach. I don't know what to do to this day. I think there's some holes, some gaps in our in our safety and security, but because we're just training people on the fly and the people training aren't really qualified. I mean, she may have been qualified for all I know, but she really didn't train me. So I am first aid certified, but not really. I'm not. Like, I can't do, I would not know what to do. Show up first person at the scene of a something where something happened and you're on the ground uh sit on him sit i sit on his chest and beat his chest in i don't know what to do all i want was the extra leg room and that didn't make sense and but so i'm on the plane i'm next to this person this guy's got a neck pillow an inflatable neck pillow, which sounds fine, but those things, if you have one, throw it in the garbage right now. So we sit on the plane, and this guy inflates his inflatable neck, pe- neck pillow. Neck pillow? Neck pillow. Just like... He's inflating this thing. And then uses it. Then at the end of the flight, pops the thing, and then he unloads his neck pillow directly in my direction, in my face. So he's unloading basically a U-shaped baggie of stale travel breath. Gross travel breath in my face. That was great. 
Thanks for that, sir. And I'll in seat 18D, Air Canada Flight 1153, with service from Toronto to Vancouver. Thank you for that. So I get to Vancouver, of course, in the worst mood possible. Here I am enjoying my, quote, full day in Vancouver. Just a vile piece of a human walking around. And I get to my sister's place and then try to nap, can't nap, end up having to babysit my niece, who is, by the way, great. That was sort of, that's like therapeutic. If you want to, if you're in a bad mood, hang out with a two-year-old for about three hours. About, that sounded very Canadian, about. About three hours. It was great. So I brought all my gear. I made sure I bought a great case for it. I brought everything. It was a big hassle. Lug that thing, this mobile recording studio across the country. Set up last night for an interview. Really tired. But I had one interview last night. Set everything up. And realize I didn't have my fucking power cord for my mixer. Had everything else. No power cord. And it's for a specific model. You can't just go out and buy just a, cord, a power cord. It's like the, the AC cord. for like that's You plug it in. It's for a specific model. It's 11 at night. And I've got nothing. And I'm like, oh, shit. All these interviews lined up. I had to do an episode for today, for Friday. And nothing. So then I start brainstorming and think, this is another thing when you're trying to, when you're like in distress and you realize the extent of the issue and you know that you have to get a specific, think people start throwing you ideas, but they really don't help. Like, what if you call someone? Who? who? What if you call, uh, the neighbors ask if they have an extension cord. That's not what I don't need an extension cord. My sister was like, well, first thing she says to me. I'm like, uh, I'm so upset because I, I don't have a power cord. I have everything else. My mics, my mic cords, my headset amp, headsets, everything. My mixer, my brand new case that I paid to travel with. that I bought no power cord. So I'm like, my sister, as soon as. She sees that I'm upset. Well, maybe next time you could... uh, Maybe next time you should have a list of all the things that you need. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll do that. (laughs) Thank you, sister. She knew it was horrible advice. As she's telling me, she's like, okay, this is probably not the best time to say this, but how about next time if you had a list? Perfect. That's great. Thank you so much. Should I print it? Should I laminate it? What should I do with this list? I need more details because clearly I don't know how to operate on my own. So I ended up coming to Victoria this morning, going to uh, Long and McQuaid here. And kudos to Mike at Long and McQuaid in Victoria. Great guy. I called him and I actually bought another mixer. First thing I ask is, what's the return policy? He's like, 30 days original packaging. No questions, no problem. Can I return it any location? Absolutely. So I bought another full mixer, opened the box just to grab the power adapter, plugged it into my own, and here we are, sitting in my hotel room. It's 4.34 Pacific time, and you can hear me. Thanks to Mike at Long and McQuaid in Victoria. And by the way, I will be returning my mixer in Vancouver. Thanks to the uh, 
the policies at Long and McQuaid. So thank you for that. Okay, let's get to my guest today. Normally now I would queue up the interview and tell you a little bit, little couple teasers and what we talked about and how it went and that it was fun. Well, I would do that, but I don't know how it's going to go because we're just about to do it. He's standing outside my hotel room, so I'm going to let him in. Let's do this. My guest today, uh, you'll enjoy our talk. I'm sure of it. I can predict the future a little bit. I have an in- intuition. And into- I have an in- intu. <laughs> I should just give up on words. Okay, you're going to enjoy it. He's a great guy, funny comic. Enjoy my chat with Sean Proudlove. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy I'm not big on the death myself, but I did learn something from it. Very expensive to die. Totally cost a lot, but if you get cremated, really cheap, right? So I told my mom, all right, if I die for whatever reason, you cremate me. But at my funeral, I want my ashes to be in a giant bowl there. Each one of my friends got to grab a handful of my ashes. Just throw them in the eyes of someone I fucking hate. Then we're gone to Subway and you get the foot long and you can't eat it all in one sitting, right? So you like put it in the fridge till later, you're done that. Yeah. Yeah, you guys know. What the hell happens to it, right? I don't know much about fridges, but you know, I'm pretty sure I put a dry sub in the fridge, yeah, right? It was protected with a bag and a napkin on it, right? No! Gotta get it an hour later, it's the soggiest fucking thing in the world! Unbelievably soggy too. If you haven't experienced, let me tell you what just grabbing the bun feels like. It is like giving a leper an Indian arm burn. That's what it's like, is it not? Yes, it is. What is that bun made out of? What's the absorption power of that bun? 30, 40 times out of a tampon? I don't know. It's right up there. So ladies, if you're in a pinch... Alright, that of course was my guest today. He sits in front of me in my hotel room. It's very intimate. This is a very nice setting. It's soft. soft sit sit or lie. I think we're lying, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. He's lying. We're... We're lying, but it's not uh, weird because he's at my his head's at my feet and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. It's like a dressed sixty nine. Anyway, my friend uh, is here. He's a veteran of the game. He's been doing stand up for about uh, the better part of seventeen years, I believe. He's toured uh, coast to coast. He has a special on the Comedy Network, uh, Comedy Now, that's been out for a few years. He's done the. Uh, Blue Bridge Comedy Fest. I think that's here on the island, right? I only do fest within a mile of my house. Yes. <laughs> He's done the Blue Bridge Comedy Festival, the Halifax Comedy Festival on CBC. Do you have any of those clips up? I could. No, I've no. actually never been. I, uh, oh, never, you've never I, been? Yeah, I haven't even been coast to coast. It goes to middle of the country. I was supposed to go. Because I looked it up. It said you've been to the Halifax Comedy Festival. No. On, I, on uh, some show that you did, it said. Yeah, they always throw that in. Oh. It's become like a standard uh <laughs> Uh, credit yeah, for anyone. You're, you're far enough from there. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to check on right, the Halifax. Right, right. The website's okay. not good enough. So Comedy Now for sure. Blue Bridge for sure. 
Halifax. We'll leave that up to you. Yeah. And uh, most recently, he's uh, taped a gala at the 2013 uh, Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. Yeah, technically it wasn't a gala either. It was <laughs> like the mini gala, whatever they called them. All right. uh, and they're, they're not airing it. So uh, Seriously? Yeah. Why not? Uh, I'm all for them not airing it. I saw it, and it was just awful, in my opinion. I mean, other people would probably like it. I'm sure it was good. I looked good. Right. That's all I do in comedy, as long as I look physically good on the tape so that when I age like a bad piece of fruit, <laughs> I can go back to me like, remember when I look so good? Okay, so, so far, all I've gotten uh, well <laughs> right is that he's been doing yeah. comedy for 17 years. Yeah. If you were searching for my daughter, I'd be worried that you would never find her. <laughs> <laughs> not, not like Liam Neeson. I have yes. no, I don't have a p- particular set of skills. Oh. Uh, Sean Proudlove sits in front of me. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing well, yeah, yeah. It's I'm good. glad you're in, uh, in town and it's good, good to old see Victoria. You. Yeah, man, we see each other about every... Um, every time you get to, yeah. to this club. Yeah. So, um, and before Vancouver, when you were yes. there. Yes, yes. So you're you're a bit of an anal- anam- anomaly? Anomaly. I'm both. Anomaly and anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the word that doesn't actually exist and that. I, I struggle with words on this thing. Uh, because worry. you're based out of Victoria, and mm-hmm. yet you still do like well with things like you did a taping for Just for Laughs. Like yes. How does one, how do you do that? Yeah, it's weird. Based out of here and uh, still pursue good I, opportunities. I moved to a place where people laughed that... Uh, or comedy goes to die, that type of, because there wasn't really a lot in Victoria. Right. And uh, as it turns out, yeah, I got invited <laughs> to Just for Laughs while I was in a town where I, I performed 75% less than I normally do. So, right. Yeah. So and I think there's a lesson there. I just don't know what it is. It's, uh, <laughs> less comedy people. Maybe we'll find out mm. in the next little bit. So, But you're from here, right? Originally? Yeah, I grew up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then I had to move to Vancouver because there was only one room here for, it was here for like 20 years. It was at the Tally Ho, which I don't know if you've ever been. It's like a giant uh, gazebo, and then there's another gazebo inside that gazebo. But there's so many things to do in there other than watch comedy, and it was some of the worst shows ever. I mean, uh, and they did it for 20 years. At the uh, Tally Ho. At the Tally Ho, and it died within two weeks of hecklers coming to town. Oh, is that right? Which was fine, as yeah. it should have. But, I mean, I did some of the worst shows there ever. I mean, you were the... F- 12th best thing to look at when you were on stage right, there. Right, right, right. That type of room. A lot of ball teams. Just horrible. But it, it still existed for 20 years. So Is it still around? Uh, the, the the place exists. They just uh, cleaned it up. So it actually, it's actually quite nice. Is it still the inception of gazebos? A gazebo yeah, it's exactly. It's, yeah. A, it's a newer gazebo in a gazebo. But I mean, they've got like <laughs> new TVs now. I mean, before it was even like they had you know, terrible TVs and... Uh, they had horse racing. You could uh, watch that. They had uh, pool tables. They had uh, pinball. They had darts. Um, a kino. And these were all spread around the thing. So you could do all of these things and still watch a guy die doing comedy on a. St- it's not even a stage. You, sometimes you were on a staircase. Right. Uh, I did a show there once where a guy went on before me when I first started. And he was breaking a board, karate chopping a board for every uh, mile that he's traveled to raise money for injured children, something like that, right? So for 45 minutes before a show, a guy was smashing boards. <laughs> Nobody was watching. It was right. just like a, a woodsman over there just smashing f- wood, flying sawdust on the ground. And then they're like, please welcome Sean Bradlove. Uh And, you know, 
that went well. <laughs> Is that where so, you did your first ever set? No. In fact, I wanted to do comedy, and I even had the instinct back then that this is not the place to do your first time doing comedy. Right. It'd be like having, uh, you know, you know, sex, your first time having sex in like a dumpster. It would be that equivalent uh, for what it was. But uh, I did go watch a lot of shows there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I got, I got a feel for people. And, uh, I mean, if you talk to every comic brought up the Tally Ho that has been around for a long time, they would tell you a bad story of that place. But it still existed, you know. It was just it was a regular gig, but uh, just horrible. So let's go back then. Let's so ninety seven you started. Yeah, ninety. I think it was ninety eight actually. Uh, I was I was talking to Damon about this, and I think it was ninety eight July first. Ninety eight was my first show, or July second. So. And where was that? That was at Yuck Yucks. And okay. The amateur night back then was cons- consisted of you know fifteen people in a two hundred seat room and. Uh, it was, uh, it was not anything like it is now where I go see amateurs that are performing for, you know, 200 people. Yeah. I mean, it was just a horrible Wednesday night in uh, Vancouver and, um, where they're, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, by the casino. And it's just, it wasn't a good venue for, for comedy, Mm -hmm. um, because it was attached to a bar, but their amateur night for a long time was just, it was awful. I mean, it was always, you know, 15, 20 people. Hard to get on. They only had five spots, uh, but that's where I started. So it was uh, it was interesting because I told people back home because I went down there. I didn't know how to get on. I said, mm-hmm. and I said I pulled the trigger. I went down there. I said I want to do it. And they're like, oh, you can't. You can get on next week. But then I told everyone that I was going down, so I had to play that through. So I told everyone, I'm like, I did all right. Oh, and you hadn't yeah, actually hadn't done, hadn't done it because I knew I was going to do it the next week, right. and then I did better than I'd actually bragged. So I felt uh, like, ah, oh, I sh- <laughs> should have bragged yeah. more. So I didn't tell many people that. So, but it did force me into doing it. It was one of those things, right? That, uh, but I, I'd made my mind up, and I went down there. And actually, it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I still have the set list. I could probably still tell you half the jokes. And, yeah, uh, you know, tell me one. Uh, I my first joke was I said uh, people complain it rains too much in Vancouver. But if it wasn't for the rain, uh, it wouldn't wash away that smell of uh, urine and vomit in uh, Gastown, which is, I believe, the first joke I told. So I don't think I even told it right. So <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, generally it, uh, a rain joke in Vancouver. So yeah. But uh, yeah, the set went fine for the 16 people, and, uh, and then off to the races there. So. And what was the scene back then like? Like who was coming up in Vancouver? Yeah, it was interesting because uh, there wasn't a, a tremendous scene, but it was like just on the cusp of building because there was. Uh, there used to be punchlines in Vancouver, and that's where I went down the first time to do comedy, and it didn't exist. It had closed that summer mm. or previous. And then, uh, so there was Laugh Lines uh, that didn't really have an amateur night. You could maybe get a guest spot there. That's uh, still, still ex- in existence. That's and it was, a, you know, it was probably at its uh, glory days back then. I mean, it was run fairly well by Mark Dennison. Uh, and uh, they got good acts. I mean, they were, you know, still getting, you know, uh, your Irwin Barkers, your Brent Butts, and Daryl Lennox's, they were just regularly headlining there. Um, but it wasn't an amateur night, so there wasn't any shows there. So there was like, the Niagara just started up, and the Urban Weld started up like three months before, but it only put pros on at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it had not found its ground. 
So when I first started, there wasn't very few things. But I did a show at the Niagara the f- week after um, Yucks. That's where I got to saw. I met a young John Bueller who was, you know, just like 19 years old. And, uh, you know, there was Damon and Dave Nystrom and um, Patrick Maliha and Kevin Fox. But they were all, none of these guys were headlining. They were all, you know, uh, middle acts at that point. So, I mean, that, that was the first time I got to see a, a large group of people do comedy in a bad room. Right. And I loved it. Uh, it was just interesting to see. I mean, it was a bad room by, uh, you know today's standards but uh it was interesting to watch and how many times were you getting up when i first started nothing i mean because there was no rooms right Mm -hmm. i mean yucks was a gamble you would have to call on like a tuesday at 12 o'clock exactly and the first five calls would get through and uh there was no guarantee you'd even get on if two headliners showed up they would just bump the the the, uh the amateur so i think i got on from july to december 23 two times, 23 mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that year after, I think I only did like 70 shows. Uh, and I had a roommate that was doing comedy, Josh Stubbs at the time, and he would play anywhere, musicians, anything. And he probably doubled the shows that I did, but he played everything. Right, uh, like so music, open mics? Yeah, anything. That, or just uh, rooms that would survive one night and never uh, never come back. But there wasn't a lot of things that first uh, year. Yeah, but then it started to take off with the well becoming... Uh, more um, amateur friendly where they brought in people and then that became the hub. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. The Urban Well was sort of, that was a s- super special room in the way that it, it was, yeah. in my knowledge, the only satellite room that has ever supported two shows in one night. Yeah, it's weird, on a Tuesday too. On a Tuesday. Yeah. So talk about that because you eventually took that room over, right? From, from yeah, Brent. for sure. When Brent went on to... So Brent uh, Butt started it. Brent and Jamie started it, uh, I think it was Jay Brown's room originally, and he gave it to Brent and Jamie, and they did a Tuesday night. And, I mean, it was like the same 10 comics, 11 comics headliners that would come in, and they would bring in a couple people. But the town just, I didn't think, really knew each other mm-hmm. super well. I mean, they didn't, the young guys and the old guys didn't really mix, and, I mean, you would meet them on the road and stuff like that. Like, even my shows in the first 23 uh, like nine of them were on the road i mean i didn't have the time but right. I, I had a car which put me ahead That's of right. a lot of people That's Same exactly here. It. see you guys are writing jokes i got a yeah. vehicle so it made a difference um but it ended up that uh when they first started it was one show on the tuesday and uh but it had brent as the mc and then all the headliners i mean so it was a, it was a pretty good show each week but they were just I think at that point there wasn't a room that they got to do things like that. They would go down and be able to do stage time every week consistently. So it, it started right. to build up, and as they uh, moved through the weeks, they needed more acts, so they brought more people. In fact, I got my first spot on that show, so it would have been uh, their first anniversary show. Uh, I had a joke about uh, tit-fucking that Jamie had found out. He liked the joke. And he says, how would you like to come down and just do that joke? <laughs> one joke. <you laughs> one joke. <laughs> and I'm like, can I have a tag? And Jay Brown's like, don't get greedy. And I'm like, but. <laughs> so uh, so I did. I got to do that joke on the anniversary show, which was a big deal for me because uh, I would not met Brent. or I mean, I barely knew them. So uh, so Brent doesn't even tell the audience that he's like, they introduce me like a normal act. I come and tell one joke, uh, do the tag, and then b- bugger off. So. That was my start of the well, and I mean, it was it was a fun room to play, um, but I mean, it definitely built up from there, and I think over the next, you know, year and a half, two years, it became a, a big thing to the point where they had to put that second show on uh, because they had so many people trying to get on there, and they just, 
they ran long shows anyways. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Brett would do 40 minutes a night as the MC. So, I mean, you can see how long the shows would get. Um, so they, when it was one show, it was probably a two, two and a half hour show, right. 2.15. It was a long night. But when they went to two shows, uh, I mean, the dynamic changed because the amateur show became, you know, like uh, all new people. I mean, when Jamie was booking, he just, he wouldn't put no thought into it, but he would just let the dice roll to where they were. So, I mean, some shows were just crazy. I mean, it was Brent with a bunch of, you know, the Bad News Bears. And then uh, the late show was just the stack show. And uh, so it was interesting to watch how it moved. But there was that much of a demand on the Tuesday that they had to do two shows just to... Uh, for the surplus of comics and even just people wanting to come and watch the show because mm -hmm. it became a uh, the place to, to drink and have fun. I mean, it was a fun place as is, right. but the comedy just added another element. And I mean, you know, pretty audience. It was one, probably the place I played where it had the hottest people I've ever seen. Really? You know, like if you were seven, I'm like, beat it. <laughs> Unless you work here, nobody wants to see that, <laughs> your seven look. So so the comics would get to mix in with that. You could tell what a comic was. You're like looking around like, oh, look at all these beautiful people. And there's a comic. <laughs> it, uh, so it, it was good times. And was it the same crowd for the both both shows? Would they stay generally? Or did uh, some the, people did, right. but those are those people where you always recognize them at a show where you're like, "Why do I know you?" And I'm like, right. "They're a comic, and they're just they, they 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 love comedy, or they were you know they draw comics, or they're they're mm -hmm. somehow attached in the industry." Uh, but they just uh, there was not people there that they rolled. You know, quite a few people would go like twice a month or this and that. So I mean, they definitely had an audience change, but there were some people that would stay and. Uh, but generally, it was a, a different show, at, mm -hmm. least, at least when I booked it. I mean, it was always, you know, if you watched A to Z, uh, week after week, there were always different shows. Mm -hmm. And what, uh, what do you remember your tit-fucking joke? Oh, yeah. What, is, what was it? <laughs> Said, uh, my, uh, I'd be like, so I breast, whatever, and they would laugh, because it was so obvious. Uh, I still do, if you look closely. Um, my breasts are so big that my uh, girlfriend tit-fucked me last night. But that was my big thing. That was my, uh, my one joke. And people would laugh at my uh, my inner turmoil, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I put a lot of effort into it there, didn't I? I'm like, yeah, tip on you, yeah. <laughs> and what was the tag? Jeez, uh, what was the tag? Uh, uh, I don't even know. Mm. I can almost see it, but uh, it's gone. So you so. get up, you do it. That's basically a one-liner. So you get up, you do it, and then thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, I told one-liners at the beginning because that's all I could write, right. which was weird because that's not really how I do a comedy now. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at videotape and stuff like that, I mean, I could write a joke, and it was generally a one-liner because that was it. I mean, it was uh, I would muster one thing that I think was funny out of that. Um, but that's just uh, I think at the, the beginning, that's all you could come up with. So, but uh, and so at the well, I mean, a lot of big names came through there. And yeah, w when did it tran transition from Brent's room to yours? Well, I think it lasted eight years in total. Uh, and the first year was pretty soft for them. And then I think it was year three, two and a half, three is when they went to two shows. And I took it over at the five-year mark. So that's when Brent went on to Corner Gas. And, uh, but, I mean, at that point, it, uh, I thought it passed its peak because, I mean, we had so many good acts and mm -hmm. a lot of good people. We also had Brent as the MC. I mean, we're talking, you know, we got a heavy hitter. It doesn't matter. Even if the show's just crap. Uh, you still got Brent, and he gets funnier as the night goes along, and he just, uh, he was a joy to have. So when he left it, um, it was a big blow. I mean, I didn't want him, I didn't want to take over the room, because that room allowed me to do anything. I could go in there, 
and rip a hole in it, good or bad, and they would allow me to do that. That was the only room that did that. Because if I did that anywhere else, it'd be like, we can't book you if you do that, if you turn on an audience or this and that. So, but they knew I loved the room and that, so they wanted me to to uh, help run it, and it just uh, it ended up ultimately killing my comedy because I became attached to how the show did as a whole. Like even the first week, I MC because I didn't want to MC. I mm-hmm. was adamant about not MCing. I'm not a good MC. Uh, I thought I was better by contrast, um, and it just ended up that they wanted me to MC, and I'm like, ooh. And the first week was the night of a Canucks game, and huge fight with this front row in the early show. I mean, it was viciously mean uh, to the point where I would attack the the weakest link at their table just because to hurt them. And that was week one, and I'm like, I knew it wasn't going to last, uh, so I, I made them switch to... Uh, you know, a regular MC and rotate people over that I thought are funny and just better at it. And that helped. But, uh, when you're running and booking a show, uh, over a period of time, you no longer become like, I'm just going to have, I'm just going to rip it up and make the guy behind me struggle and uh, right. make everyone remember me. I mean, like, I can't do that because I want them to come back yeah. and I want the show to be good. Right. So you're so invested yeah, in the other aspects you are, of the show. For sure. And I never thought of that before. And it, it was a good lesson because, uh, you know, as it, you know, I've gone to people's shows, <laughs> do whatever I felt like and then, uh, leave and I'm like, sorry. Um, but when I became attached to the show, it, it taught me the lesson of like, you just can't do that if you want people to come back. And, uh, we were going to go down to one show. That's what the, we were talking with the owner, and I'm like, I don't want to go down to one show. I really want that early show to survive because I said if we're down to one show, we may be down to zero show. With two, mm-hmm. we've got a little buffer. And I tried to make that early show better. And uh, what I did, I think, that made that room better is I went in and took uh, – they had a show called The Laugh Gallery, which was uh, – Dylan Reimer was running it and Graham Clark and uh, all these uh, – somewhat alternative comics or younger guys were uh, doing that room and I, I used to go down and watch that room all the time and I went in and just said mm, yeah you're now my early show it, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I plucked all those people that had a hard time getting booked on this show because it really wasn't booked on merits it was booked on um, just you know emails this and that put together and I, I made a cognizant effort to make the shows work where mm-hmm. I knew everyone's act I knew what kind of styles they had, and I tried to build shows that, uh, you know, and put some thought into it so I could look at the, you know. I always told people, you never have to ask me to be on there. I'll put you on because I want to use all my pieces. Uh, if I knew you were on last week on the late show, well, you know what, I'll put you on next week on the early show. I just, just to mix it up and uh, try and put some thought in that. But uh, what made that early show as things progressed uh, better was I just came in and I just took all the good young acts, and, you know, I got to know Graham really well, and... He became my MC on that early show, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, as I say, I made it stronger. I made it to the point, at least personally, uh, because I never drank down there. When people tell stories of the well, uh, they're always convoluted because they're always, I'm like, I, the top 10 drunkest people I've seen in my life were at the well. Right. Like, just unbelievably drunk. So I see things a little differently when I look back on it because it was a great room, but it had many a bad show. Many bad shows, mm-hmm. but it had some amazing shows, but... Uh, it's just one of those things that uh, you had to secure that early show, and it became better. I thought ultimately it was the better show of the two. It was not the most prestigious one to be on. Everyone would right. be on the late show, or there was just that hierarchy where you're like, I got to get on the late show with these people. And I mean, I know people like Phil Hanley and uh, Simon King, all these good acts, really good acts now that couldn't get on that late show. I mean, they just uh, they weren't in, but they worked hard to get on that late show. And, and that's what it was. It was always, uh, and I think every town should have that one room where you can go and be like, I want to see everybody. I want to mm-hmm. see them being competitive with each other in a room 
and just see the best. I mean, that's good for any town. I think that's why Vancouver put out a lot of good comics is you, there was a place you could go and see everybody. Like, where right. am I? Where am I really? Right, right. And uh, even though some people are deluded and, uh, and that's fine, um, but it was just a room where I'm like, you know, I, I put people on merit, you know, mm-hmm. or on skill or just a thing uh, that was different. And I mean, that's what I want to watch in a show. And I became a band-aid. I just, I would do, I mean, like if the show needs a little energy, that's what I would do. I'd come up with you energy. And that's all my act became there, which isn't good as you progress because I'm just like became a fixer on the show. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I wouldn't do sets just because, uh, you know, the show was going sideways and uh, you'd have to, you know, keep an eye on people drinking and just get them on in the right spot. I mean, when you're producing a show, it was, it was, it was hard and, uh, like that. And, uh, but as I say, it was it was a wild ride, good room, great comics to pick from, and mm-hmm. but just to have something where you can go down there and uh, strive to be better, uh, as compared to just, I mean, a lot of people are like well, I'm fighting that guy. I'm like, well, shows like that show whether you are or not, right, right. And uh, but I think it makes people work harder because they want to. I mean, we did that with Brent when Brent was emceeing. Everybody wanted to do well in front of Brent. Didn't want to bomb in front of Brent, so mm-hmm. it would make you try a little bit harder and. Uh, uh, that made for good times and I just don't think there'll ever be a room like that in Vancouver because a lot of things came together with all these great young acts that uh, started to go through with these uh, very very talented uh, headliners for years uh, in a room where they're very competitive and it's it's a lot more uh, independently nine different styles of rooms in, in Vancouver yeah, yeah. I mean it, it's it's a totally different world I've been gone there three years and it's crazy how much different it is, is that to right? now like it's way different yeah I don't know. I can go to rooms and I'm like, I don't know anyone. I don't know mm-hmm. anyone in this room. And when I booked Yucks there in their amateur night, I mean, I knew everyone. I made mm-hmm. an effort to go see people and try and get them on. But now, as I say, there must be 200, 300 comics there that I don't generally know. That uh, many? Think, yeah, because uh, yeah, I think people come and go. Even in Victoria here, like I asked the guy that books the local amateur night, and they probably have 85 people's names here in Victoria. So that's a lot here. I mean, some come and go and never come back and uh, that. But, I mean, to have that many people, if you could email and call and you want to do a set, I mean, that adds up. And I think with Vancouver, there's so many different little rooms all over, and they all have their own little base because people can't get on, so they play right. these rooms. So I think there is probably, you know, 200 probably amateur comics in Vancouver. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder how many are funny. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> so, But it's a different thing now. I mean, I did comedy before. Um, the internet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you t- try and uh, look at it like that now, I mean, you can go online and find clips of anybody. Before you used to have to watch, you know, late night TV or somebody had a video, and it's just—I uh, mean, it's a whole different world for comedy. Do you think that YouTube has affected that? I think so. I mean, videos uh, and just even TV uh, for a while. Uh, the last comedy boom, people could see a lot of stuff on TV, and I think there's a saturation. But with uh, with the internet now, you can just go on. I mean, you could see more comedy in the next three weeks than, you know, people would in a lifetime. You mm-hmm. could watch everybody, old or new. Um, so it, it definitely affects things. Uh, and even promotions like uh, with Facebook and trying to get people out and do shows or contests. I mean, all this stuff just didn't exist when I started. I mean, there was very few things, uh, very few showcases. Just it was, you know, the up until 2002 just not a lot of stuff right so you just plug along and uh there was more road work that's what it was right right. Uh, now there's no road work so it's a different ball game i feel for these comics that never go on the road and as i say my 
13th show was a road gig. And I mean, man, it opens your eyes quickly. It and really does. Uh, yeah. And it was not a good road show. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's the way I started too. In New Brunswick, I had a car. I would, I would go drive these headliners to gigs. I was, um, Slotted to do 15 minutes, which yeah. I didn't have. I yeah. had maybe two. That's a tremendous amount when you didn't have two. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like months yeah. in, like three months in. It's like, yeah. you'll do 15. Yeah. And you open for these drunk rednecks in small yeah. towns. But you really cut your teeth that way. And it's, I mean, you're thrown in. It's painful, but you learn yeah. a lot. I mean, we, you learn that shield that needs to be put up so right. that you can, uh, you know, continue and do this. I mean, that first road gig I did was... It was in a cowboy bar, uh, and even the headliner, I remember, I won't say who it is, but uh, he made fun of these three. When I went on, there was nobody on stage. Uh, there was like 16 people, 15 people, and the only laugh I legitimately got, I swear, was when I told the, one of my punchlines when somebody told a joke at the table and it coincided with his laugh. <laughs> that was the only time it synced up where I'm like that, but I did like 14-ish, 17, some horrible amount, uh, just awful. Then I brought the headliner on, and within, I don't know what happened, man. It was like they opened, oh, here's the door. We let people in, and then it was full. Well, like 15 minutes into a set, it was full, like 250 people. And a crazy big Warner Brothers stage, and uh, he wasn't doing particularly well. And I'm watching this with some wide eyes, and he was making fun of these three big morons they all look the same and he called them Huey, Dewey and Louie right and then he did the uh, you know the standard line that you hear and, well if you guys think you're so funny why don't you come up here and they did they oh, came up on stage they took the mic from him and then they started berating him in a, in a triangle and I'm I, this is my first road gig I'm like holy mackerel am I gonna have to fight uh, my instinct was to grab a rag and pretend I worked at this place I work here I'm not with that guy uh, so and then when I went in the bathroom, it was a, a trough bathroom. There was a yuck yuck joke machine there. So, which I'm like, what a great place to put. You know what I'm going to do? I want to listen to some while well, I pee here. Uh, somebody had actually put money in it, and it wasn't not BJ Woodbury like it promised. It was uh, Martha Chavez. So, <laughs> little Martha Chavez while you urinate in this. What was, what was the yuck joke machine? Like a juke, like a. Yeah, Juke like, box you know, when you get jokes? condoms, you get a condom, yeah, yeah. yeah, like that, but a joke machine, just to kind of break the ice in the bathroom, so, uh, maybe we could take a huge dump, be like, I'm going to be here in 13 minutes, I'd like to see the best of BJ Woodbury, if possible, <laughs> uh, yeah, so they had those all over the place for a while, so, it, uh, I heard somebody, uh, found one in, uh, a pawn shop in uh, Courtney and I said fuck I wish I bought it. I wanted to buy yeah. it because I was going to put make it an independent comedy joke machine <laughs> and put it beside a Yuck Yucks one right yeah. so charge a little less uh, but yeah it was gone so yeah, my dream is still one day I'll, maybe I'll find one in the garage sale by Yuck Yucks joke machine so. oh, that's great yeah so that gig was see, that was my first gig on the road in 13 but it, it opened your eyes, and I mean, I know many comics, if they went and did that gig, they would die a horrible death because it's very painful when you're not getting laughs when you're used to getting comfortable laughs in oh. places that you're comfortable. I mean, it is... What's the worst? Yeah, some people can handle it. I mean, I can sit in complete silence now. It doesn't matter. You guys can... I, 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 I'm, I find it quite refreshing. It's like swimming. It's mm -hmm. just it's me and my thoughts, and if you guys uh, join in, but it's not for everyone. Some people cannot handle absolute silence mm -hmm. or... or that smell that happens when you're not doing well. I mean, there's a, the air changes thicker. Oh, yeah, you yeah. can taste it. You can you taste can, it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, if somebody opened a window, it was just like ghost <laughs> out. 
Uh, there's, as I say, that's not for everyone. And if you've never experienced that and it happens, I mean, uh, it's deflating and it's deflating early in your act. Even if you've told like jokes where you got better jokes coming, I mean, it just deflates a lot of people's acts. Oh yeah. And you start dropping tags yeah, and then you, uh, yeah, or speeding up and yeah. it's just nothing, uh, there's nothing like it. So as I say that people only do seven minute sets and this and that, and then they, uh, start to, you know, mid lane this and that, but just do it internally in the city. Like, and then they have to go on the road. I mean, it's just a different, uh, cup of tea and when i started that was the norm you know you would yeah. do these horrible gigs and you'd always have to drive like six hours to yeah, it wasn't like thing, yeah, yeah i'm like oh it's one thing to go bomb you know buy your house you can go home and have hot knives it's it's another to drive seven hours and stay in a horrible hotel uh to really let that uh marinate in your system and then drive to another place the next day that's not even it wasn't even as the good gig you just did mm-hmm. the good gig now you're gonna do the crummy gig but I mean that—that's what it was when I started, and uh, yeah, there just isn't a lot of that anymore. So yeah, it's too bad. And it, it again, it really—that's the best experience, just to be thrown in there, just yeah. to just to give a perspective of how you can deflate an act. Um, I was like three years in, or two two years in, and I was doing uh, Yuck Yucks and Ajax, yeah. which. Everyone told me, oh, you're doing Ajax? Yeah, yeah you're going to bomb. It's yeah, exactly. uh, your first time there. It's always terrible. Yeah. So I was. They already know. <laughs> I was freaking out. And I, and I had like 20 minutes. Yeah. That was it, cover to cover. And yeah. I was middling. And uh, I, um, I go there. And I showed up there. It was, it was like me against them already. I was like, fuck these yeah, people. Exactly. Like, I was so angry. So I get up on stage. <laughs> and it was uh, Ron Jossel, MC, and Jen Grant headlining. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a stacked show. Yeah, me, yeah you feel comfortable in that. Right. Yeah. So, and I get there. And it's a Thursday night. They do fundraisers yeah. there. So it's buzzing. I walk in. And you can kind of tell the energy of the room how by how many people are still standing when the show is like, yeah. starting. So the show's starting and there's a bunch of people standing yeah, I don't like that. and yeah, fuck. <laughs> it's like just the air's buzzing. Yeah. I'm like, "Oh fuck, here we go." And so Ron starts the show and he's killing. I mean, he's yeah. just no no crowd work whatsoever. He's doing his yeah. A stuff and he's just like a he's, machine he's, gun. He's going. He's going and he's just <laughs> annihilating and I'm pacing in the back yeah, of the room going, fuck, yeah, I got keep, keep. So, so scared, right? <laughs> already so scared. So I go up on stage, he brings me up and I've got the fear of God in, in me. I'm yeah. just like so fucking scared. So I go up on stage and I do my opener and, and my act was so structured back then. Like yeah. I had 20 minutes and I, I knew like at minute 14 yeah. where I was, at minute 16 where I was. Yeah. I could Which is always good. Right. And, but I couldn't even flip an order, the order. If I flipped it, I oh, was you're, fucked. You're like, yeah. yeah. So it was all straight, like one, like press play yeah, and yeah. go. And I couldn't deviate from my act whatsoever. Yeah. So I do my opener, yeah. nothing. Oh, no. My second joke, nothing. Yeah. And then they start chatting amongst themselves. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, fuck. And there's like a buzz in the yeah. room. And I'm just feel the weight on yeah. my shoulder oh, I it's s- awful start sinking yeah, yeah. my back starts sweating and then i'm again deflating my act i'm dropping tags yeah. going to the next bit going they're not gonna like that that's an act out yeah. i can't do that yeah. okay mm. drop that do the next one drop that and i was at a point in my act where <laughs> i usually was at minute yeah. 19 yeah. by that point and i knew i was gonna wrap it up and i had this ipod nano on the stool with me to time oh, my no. sets and i looked down and it's 11 minutes <laughs> And I'm I'm done basically, <laughs> and it's complete yeah. silence. So I go. Uh, this was my big closer, and my closer was an act out I used to do back then. So I couldn't do that to oh, silence. There was no way. So yeah. I'm like, I'm, eleven minutes. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, so uh, this is my closer. So uh, uh, there's a fun a fundraiser here tonight, yeah. and they're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're just like looking at me with disdain. I'm like, cool, cool. So who's uh, who's organizing this thing, yeah. huh? And this woman like 
sheepishly raises her hand. She's like, yeah, yeah I am. She's <laughs> like, cool, cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot, everybody. All That's right, my time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get off stage. Yeah. And Ron's not coming. He's outside. He's yes. smoking, right? Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, the club doors swing open. Oh, he runs away. Anyway, anyway, just a side note to show how much you can deflate an act. Like, yeah. that was 20 minutes into 11 minutes, basically. Yeah. It's... It just happens, and it's hard to go backwards when you see that. Be like, "Oh, do the jokes that you haven't done." Right, it's That's impossible. The solution? No, you, have a, you erase them off of your memory bank uh, forever. Yeah. Forever, yeah. That's seemingly. Exactly it. You're like, I can't. Yeah, that's just it. And let's go back a little bit to the well because there's some legendary stories mm-hmm. there. You just sort of touched on the urban well stories before. Um, a lot of big names came through. Yeah, that, over the, a period of time, like uh, at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of people that. Uh, because Vancouver, when they had punchlines, used to get a lot of great acts from the states, like mm-hmm. uh, Seinfeld on down. I mean, if you looked at they like that. So I mean, there's always uh, that. But at first four or five years, there wasn't a lot of people coming to town. I mean, I would once in a while you would see a show that made no sense. Like Doug Stanhope came to the Yuck Yucks at the Plaza Nations. I mean, when I first, I'm like blew my mind. Uh, but nobody knew who he was just because of social media. Like right. That. But it just, he got that booking. Or like Alan Watts was one of my favorite comics uh, that I used to see on Comedy Now. And he did a show. Actually, that was a great show in the sense where I saw him. Uh, Dave Chappelle was filming uh, that Norm MacDonald, that terrible movie, Man at Work. It was some horrible movie that he was yeah, in Vancouver. Yeah. I didn't even know who he was, to be honest. It, uh, that's when I first started. He came and did a guest spot. He did... 55 minutes 55 minutes is a guest spot and then uh totally changed the dynamic i've never seen a show dynamic change much where i'm like Heck, i just did 55 minutes off the top because right. the mc did a minute mm. then uh dave chabelle did 55 minutes then daryl lennox had to go on and uh to be honest kind of struggled at that because you know the guy did 55 minutes of topics in front of him uh it just you felt the room just just all weird and then alan watts uh, a bald little white guy comes on and he's really funny and he was bombing like horrible 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 bombing and my favorite line he always said he goes i never more in my life wish i was black and i <laughs> laughed uh but it was just he came to that room so i mean you would see uh people that i like but there's just never big big stars that would uh, show up until the well and uh i guess they just found out through that like robin, so. robin williams robin williams a came out times, quite right? a few times yeah. uh and it's weird because he would always bike there so he'd come in looking like he just got out of the Tour de France and do comedy, which, I mean, I wouldn't be comfortable doing my act in, right. you know, green or yellow spandexy bodysuit, but he was, and uh, and he was great. And, I, and I'll say this about him. I saw more people take pictures with him than anyone in my life. Like, he, and he would do it with anyone. Great, like, generous with his time. Beyond and, like yeah. that. And I said, I'm like, how many pictures? And he's like, I don't even know. So, but he was always soft and uh, gracious and uh, waited in the show, was uh, polite and... Uh, it was the greatest. I mean, it was great when he came down because that room just, I mean, went from like busy to ridiculously busy where, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, they were surrounded like a fight, even behind him that so many people were there watching and he came down all the time and he would do, you know, just an easy 45 minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, people loved it. And that's back when you would get a text, I mean, before Facebook where you could send this, uh, thing out there. So he came down, we had, uh, oh man, Kevin Elam was there, um, uh, who else came down there? Wasn't there? Uh, I I can't remember her name. She Sarah was Silverman was there. Sarah Silverman, yeah. but there was an David S- Cross was there. No way. Yeah. So and they did hard material there. Like I think David Cross is on the the early show doing 
really gnarly stuff. So yeah, that yeah. generally didn't super work on there. So it was it was great to watch. Uh, Victoria Jackson came down there, and that was a weird. Did she get kicked out for? She some was weird. She was, filming, she was filming everybody, her. right? She was filming like Graham and some other people, and uh, yeah, cause it was my birthday that day. I remember that, and the. Uh, then she went to pay. I think she thought things were going to get comped or something like that. So, and then uh, she paid with all this change, like a massive amount of loot. Like she'd robbed a homeless man, loose change. So it was a weird thing. She didn't announce. Um, God, there's some other good people came down. Um, actors and stuff like that. They never that. I remember, uh, who's the guy from Kangaroo Jack? Was the Anthony... Uh, I can't remember his name now, but he laughs. He sat in the middle of the room and he has the biggest laugh I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Jason Priestley used to come down to some of the shows and he had a ridiculous laugh where I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> keep her down there. Uh, and, and Zach Galifianakis was one of the guys that came down a lot. I mean, he mm-hmm. was filming some show there. It was terrible. Uh, on Fox. Um, and he was there a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so it was really... Really interesting to watch. In fact, I did a show at the Yucks where there was the 16 people at the uh, the old Plaza Nations, and uh, I bombed and bombed badly. And I remember that. And Josh Dubs came up. He goes, I only knew Zach because I saw him on Conan playing the piano, and he just mm-hmm. did that the first time. And he goes, I think uh, Zach, uh, Zach Galifianaki, you can't even get his name right, uh, is in the audience. I'm like, no, what the? Why? That makes no sense. And uh, I look out there. I'm like, yeah, it kind of looks like him. Uh, as it turns out, it was him. He sat dead center in this room of 16 people uh, and watched an entire amateur night. Uh, but then he came down the, the well the next night. I killed. I had a great set on that night. And uh, and I remember it was him because he came up and he was very nice. And uh, so we got to see him quite a bit in Vancouver and do a lot of shows. And that was just eye-opening. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just, uh, I mean, he just showed you another two levels of comedy. And that, to me, was even before he hit um, his, I mean, he just got better and better at stand-up. Yeah, yeah. In those years, I thought he just uh, really, uh, well before the hangover and that. I mean, just, but to see him just do shitty shows and uh, good shows and how he'd go about it was, it was totally eye-opening and uh, and fun to watch. Mm -hmm. He was uh, really funny. I mean, I count him as one of my favorites, so. It's the only podcast where somebody would knock. <laughs> Someone's knocking. Let, let, let us grab that. Well, we'll be All back. Right. Out. There's a couple of more things I want to ask All you, right, so sure. we'll get into it in a second. All Let's right. take a short break. Here. I did Just order a pizza. That's <laughs> be All right. This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast, that's episode 11 with Sean Proudlove, episode 1-1. Yeah, is brought to you by Echo One Photography. Hey, Toronto listeners, I'm talking to you. If you're a comedian, you're a musician, or actor business person whoever doesn't matter if you need some headshots done well stop looking go to echo one photography they'll do that for you you own a business you want to shoot some products for e-commerce or advertising purposes echo one will do that too they do it all and they do a damn good job too email eugene that's e-u-g-e-n-e at echo one photography.com and enter j-d-c-h in the subject line for special offers yeah do it do it. Do it today. All right, we're back. That was Ron Vaudry at the door, uh, mm. but he's he's out smoking. Anyway, um, 
So we're talking about the well. So, okay, so you're uh, you're somewhat of a comedy nerd. Like, I mean, you watch it, you like it, you dissect it, you analyze it. You I think so. Yeah, over the years, for sure. I mean, not at first. I mean, when people go, well, "Who did you like before you got in comedy?" I mean, I used to like uh, people that did impressions and stuff like that. And now I'm like, I detest them. No, mm. uh, I shouldn't say I detest them. But I mean, that, that to me, when I first started doing comedy, I was super impressed, and uh, that's what I gravitated towards uh, liking what I watch because it was just something different. Now I'm like, uh, uh, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, for me personally, I like jokes that trick me. I like to go down a path where you just, you're, because as a comic, we tend to try and guess ahead. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just one of those things. And um, I like people that trick me. And there's many comics that do. And I, and I love that. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you pull the rug out from under my feet or, or just, uh, you know, people that are good with words because I'm still not that good with words. So so who are some of your favorites? Uh, you say you're still not good with words, but you're, you, I mean, you're a great comic. You're very respected too. Like Yeah. Yeah, I think it's because I'm nice to people or at least fair. I mean, as I say, as a booker, people would hate you. But I always book to say book shows on merit. I mean, if you're funny, I'm going to put you on. And this yeah. day, I'm going to put you in an awkward position. My buddy Jeffrey used, used to just be like, please don't put me on after Terry Lennox. And I'd be like, nope, that's where you're going. <laughs> Uh, because the uncomfortable is always funny. I yeah. mean, uh, I always found that on shows. I mean, like I want to watch some people struggle because even good comics don't like to follow certain types of comics. And I mean, it, I, I enjoyed watching those types of things of like, uh, you know, what you can do when you know people's acts and put them in those positions. And I mean, I think people like watching me bomb. I mean, if, over the years, uh, they really did enjoy it uh, mm. more than they should have. So, but they like when it goes sideways. Uh, they're not going to help you or throw your lifeline, but they like to see things when it goes sideways. So, so who who would be some of your fi- your top guys now? Like- uh, it's tough, you know, because the thing is, uh, like when I was at Just for Laughs, I tried to watch as many shows as I could in between the copious amount of drinking that was done there. But uh, it's always trying to find somebody that you just never seen. And uh, there's a guy from South Africa. I want to say his uh, God. I can't remember his name. He he blew my mind. He was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should know his name, but I don't. But it's it's one of those things that uh, I never seen him. It was really funny. Yeah. And uh, but I mean, I I I think Graham Clark. You know, for a Canadian guy. I mean. Uh, yeah, he's just, great. He's ridiculous. The guy yeah. just uh, constantly <laughs> runs, mooning me. Uh, he's just, he's always funny and always got something interesting to say. Uh, but I mean, that's not necessarily a thing that I like. I like people that, uh, you know, can tell jokes with, uh, I mean, like somebody like Brent could tell me a joke that I already know what the joke is, but I can somehow still watch it and it makes me laugh. And I mean, that's, that's a gift I can't do when I tell jokes, but uh, he has that gift. But I mean, I, it's just, I like watching a lot of different acts. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, some people that's just uh, passionate. I just saw Brian Hatt in town. It was, it was fun. I hadn't seen him in like two years, and he was so yeah, so he's much funny. more aggressive than he was before. He used yeah, to be like, yeah. uh, he used to be like, uh, yeah. And now he's uh, you know bitch slapping people in the front row. Uh, so I mean, it, it's always fun to watch. I like the evolution. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, to me, I say even with jokes. I'm a guy that I describe jokes as like, it's like restoring a car. I mean, you're always fixing and fiddling. I mean, uh, Phil Hanley is one of my favorite because he's like that. I mean, as I say, we always text and he's just always just, it's never done. He's always trying to polish that one thing. And I mean, that's right down to the word. Right down the word. And I I always like that. And I like people that uh, uh, do stuff like that. But I mean, every different style. I mean, that's thing. There's so many different styles of comedy to watch. And I, I appreciate them all. Uh, and you just know when you know, a guy's a comic or people are like, oh, he does comedy. I'm like, but when you watch comics, you just know, I'm like, that guy loves it. He's, he's into it. And I mean, it, uh, even if it's not my favorite cup of tea, I still enjoy watching right. it uh, because they add a, a flavor or something like that, yeah, that, yeah. that I can't do. 
Uh, and as I say, like uh, Sonny Dollywalls, uh, I mean, his energy on stage just, I mean, they have this stage presence that I just never have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I ultimately think I'm a... I'm an all right comic, but I have I, I see things through a different light than most people, and, right. and I think that's always it was like that. But I mean, performance wise, when I watch a video, I'm like, ugh, what a sad sack effort that was. <laughs> but I think somebody else did those jokes. I think we uh, they would uh, do better than me just because it's it's a performance thing. I'm I'm pretty low key. I think I frown a lot on stage. I think I just uh, I, mean, I have this face like I'm an ogre when I'm telling jokes that people are like cause I see them scared in the front row. I'm like, I'm talking, I'm talking about cookies here. Why are you looking so? <laughs> terrified of me but you know it is one of those things that it's it's a two-tier you got to perform and uh love to perform and i I don't know if i love to perform Mm -hmm. i i I like it when it's going well (laughs) like anyone but at that point i'm not i'm just going through the motions aren't i right it uh so it's tough but i like fixing jokes i mean that's what i'll always be I, i like fiddling fixing much like twitter i mean you know as bad as people mock twitter i'm like i love it it's you're like, a great tweeter tweet so Tw- yeah your, your tweets easy. are hilarious yeah. what's your handle so people can follow you i think it's proud loving cat Let i share it, the right. account with my cat at proud loving uh, cat. so she started it and i hoarded in on it but it's <laughs> it's one of those things that I'll, I'll say about twitter if you're a new comic i mean you, it makes you forces you to rewrite things three or four times. You can't just put it you out there and edit it. Concise, it, right. it has to be enough where it's past the point of making sense or, you know, you'll write something down in a book and then you go back and like, I don't even understand this. It makes no right. sense to me. But on Twitter, you ultimately, if you put it out there, it has to have been revamped three or four times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that makes a huge difference when you're writing stuff. And I had to use a thesaurus for the first time in my life. Never did I use it. Why would I use a thesaurus? Uh, didn't use it in school. Wasn't going to use it for comedy. But with Twitter, the only way you can get that 140 character under is you have to find another word. And uh, that's made a huge difference for me because I use it all the time just to go in and fiddle with these things. But that fiddling with jokes, and I talk about that with Graham. Like he loves uh, Twitter as well. It's just one of those things. It's just stupid thoughts. Get them out there. Get them out of your head. Don't know if they have a place in time and uh, like that, but uh, I've got quite a few jokes from Twitter um, for my act now, even though they were short, but they can become bigger. Yeah, I mean, for it's sure. Just, it's just a thought process, and it's a clean, easy way to see your jokes mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. just to remember. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Right. So that's good. It's not necessarily what people favorite. They, those idiots don't know shit. They know nothing. <laughs> if people are like, oh, this one good. No, no, those are the worst. Right. Those are the ones that just got passed around like a doobie. It's that nugget that no one saw at 4 a.m. that you're like, that's the joke. Yeah. Um, but if you didn't write it down there or put a little more thought into it, it just, you know, it would never become anything anyway. So uh, so for that, I like Twitter. Yeah, you're good at it. Yeah. So at Proud Love and Cat. Yeah. So you've been in Victoria now for three years. Yeah. What brought you, brought you back, a lady? or? Uh, yeah, definitely a lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting married in January. Yeah, exactly. Nice. I know, exactly. That's all right. I'm dead on the inside. She doesn't know yet. <laughs> Ron Beaudry uh, sits in, by the way, just, <laughs> just walked in the room. Yeah. His facial experience, he's doing the facial act-outs to our uh, words here. So. Right. Uh, but yeah, Victoria, you know, I just needed to change. I mean, ultimately, I think if you stay in a city too long, you become uh, frustrated because of just, uh, it's the way comedy is and if mm-hmm. you don't move somewhere else and uh, start again um, you die on the inside uh, as I've seen happen to a few comics that were really funny but by coming here even though there's less comedy it's been better because I'm not uh, I'm not in the same rooms every week so whenever I go over to Vancouver I can just book all the shows I go over there do the set nice to see everyone oh this room people try and tell me all the woes I'm like couldn't care less mm-hmm. but I mean I was involved in Vancouver on everything like I people would call me over any dispute and this and that and uh they used to call me the godfather i'm like i'm 40 for god's sakes i am not a godfather there's plenty of other oldies here 
but it just, I was involved in a lot of stuff, but now that I'm not, it's great. I mean, I just, I've found what's funny again, right? Because I'm not overexposed or just seeing right. the same yeah, morons yeah. like that. So, and then when I go to Vancouver, I'm glad to see some of these people that I hated. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's just a change. I mean, my choice is to move elsewhere, but my girl was here and uh, and I grew up here, so it's not bad. And then there's honestly a little burgeoning scene here. It's uh, interesting to watch. There's like... You know, 25 fairly good young comics. I mean, they're not good enough to move to Vancouver, but they, uh, they're they getting better. And they move as a group, which is weird in comedy mm-hmm. when you watch a collective move that they're not uh, trying to take any pie because there's no pie here. They just have to they're get better. They're so supportive of each other here. It's yeah. So crazy. And I've never seen anything like that. Like, yeah. they, like they've grown up together and gotten better. So at some point, they're going to have to turn on each other. So. Yeah. And I still try and figure out which one's going to be the funny one. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. week to week, one will shake or spike. So... We watch them move as a group, and uh, I like that. I like their uh, their enthusiasm, but yeah, they're not uh, the bitterness of uh, you know continually doing this year after year. Right. Uh, you know, it wears on people. I mean, you got to really love it, so that, uh, or not be good at anything else. Right. <laughs> cool, brother. Well, we'll go in for the close. Anything you would like to plug, good sir? Uh, not really. Just no. at Proud Love and Cat yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, follow me on Twitter. So, yeah. at, uh, follow me, then uh, unfollow me, and then maybe one day follow me again because that seems to be the trend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so. I appreciate you uh, right, sitting in and uh, talking with me. Yeah, man. it was great. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'll see yeah, you next right. time I'm around. All right, I'm gonna go have a shower. Okay, buddy. Right, shower, man. Well, there we have it, folks. There's our show, episode 11 in the books. Thanks to my guest, Sean Proudlove. That was great, see? I told you I know the future. You better watch out. You better watch yourself. I don't know what that means. Thanks again for listening, always. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. If you're not listening, there's no point in any of this. So keep listening, keep downloading. Email the show, podpod at jdcomedyhour.com. Check out the Facebook group, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox. Thanks to my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. And thanks to you a million times. I don't know if, if you get it, but I mean, I mean it. Mom, I love you, and what else can I say? Hope I'm not missing anything or anyone. Come to Hecklers this weekend. Tonight and tomorrow, Saturday night in Victoria. And, oh yeah, come to the uh, Hard Rock Casino in Coquitlam on Sunday night. In the Asylum Sound Room. Yeah. Do it up. The Comedy Mix, Wednesday night. That's that. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening and watch your head. A piece of my head, but they all get a piece of my mind instead. I roll over and go back to bed. It's such a beautiful waste of time.
You sound better now. Yeah, yeah. Did a second ago when <laughs> I was sitting across from you. <laughs> right. Yeah, these are these are the real deal. These these mics. Is this like having a hearing aid? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. That's what it would sound like. <laughs> yeah. This is the world through. I don't mumble when I have a microphone in front of me. The ears of a deaf person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You heard me. We all know you heard me. All right, check, check. How's that? Seems good. Seems good. Is that too loud or anything like that? No. All right. Weirdly enough, though, when my voice comes out, it's Spanish. It will come out Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it's got translators. I know people. Exactly. <laughs>